and welcome to episode 73 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How is it going, Courtney? Things in our world are pretty good. How about you? Same. Getting back to busy school life, which is exciting and annoying. It's it's better than having them at home for another year. Yeah, we're we're back to whack-a-mole. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's very true. And unfortunately, I'm sure you've seen, we in California are back in fire season. And we just want to send out thoughts to the people who are being affected by these recent fires. There's not a lot we can do right now, but we will do what we can when things start to rebuild again. We just hope everybody is safe and out of harm's way. Those of you on the East Coast with the hurricanes, I mean, it is... Climate change is real. Apparently so. Yes. Who knew? Who knew? Oh, everyone. (laughs) Anyway, things continue on as normal here as well. On the needles, on the easel... (laughs) On the table, on the nightstand, and bingo. Except we have a little visitor. My dog is joining us in the downstairs studio, and he seems to be in love with Courtney today. Attention-seeking. Yes. Somewhat. And it's really hard to ignore his chocolatey brown eyes. He's very adorable. (laughs) But he has sharp little claws, so we'll have to see. See what happens here. Anyway, on the needles. I have been continuing with my monogamous, for the most part, knitting. That's kind of fun. Just working away on my hide and peek sweater by Maxim Sear. So the yarn is from Farmer's Daughters, and it's yarn that they specifically did for Starlight Knitting Society. And so it's the Mayhem yarn, which is a sport weight. So a little bit thicker than what I would normally use for socks. So the knitting takes a little longer than it would if I was doing it in worsted because it's pretty thin yarn. On the plus side, that means it won't be too heavy of a sweater, which is good for our climate. Because even in winter in San Francisco, it does not get terribly cold. It's 60, give or take, all year long here, which is such a surprise to people who have never experienced it. Especially in July. Yeah. (laughs) Less of a surprise in January. A worsted sweater when it's 55 is sometimes a little bit much. So I'm excited about the weight. The yarn is called Mayhem, and so there's a main color and three contrasting colors that are used in the yoke, and one of them is used a little bit on the sleeve, although I have not gotten there, but I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) So my three contrast colors are Bad Rock, which is a gray, and Dirty Little Dandelion, which is yellow, and One Stab, which is a pink, and they're all kind of muted fall kind of colors is how I envision them. The main color is called Ikuni, and it's kind of a brick red is how I think of it. I was a little bit worried about the colors. They're definitely more fall-like than I normally go with. I'm more of a jewel tone kind of girl. But now that I've knit it up, I'm really liking it. It's totally different from anything else I have, which is definitely That's good. That's fun. Yeah. So I am excited to see how it all, all works out in the end. Yeah, I blasted through the yoke probably in over the weekend for the most part. Just because it's so addictive, you want to see how the colors are going to play together. It's a really nice repetitive kind of pattern. Um, you're making 
triangles and, and alternating car- the colors. Yeah, you're carrying the yarn behind like a fair isle, right? Yes. There's parts where you're just basically alternating and then the, the solid colors get wider and wider and then it swaps and you're swapping out the colors. It's a very cool design. So yeah, so I got through that really quickly and now I have been working on miles and miles of sport weight stuck in it. And there's no shaping, there's no decorative elements. So it's really just knitting, knitting, knitting. So I've been watching a lot of TV to get through it because it's not exciting. And I'm finally at the ribbing for the hem. And then I will have the sleeves, which should be a little bit more interesting because the rounds do go more quickly because it's a smaller circumference and there's some shaping. And as I said, there's a little bit of color work towards the cuff. So I'm excited about that. I did try it on. It looks like it, it feels like it should fit. So we'll, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. We'll have another sweater. And then, so I'm at the point where I can sort of see the finish line. So my brain starts thinking about what's going to come next. <laughs> that was a rabbit hole yesterday. Just so many options. Like I have all this yarn and new sweater patterns are coming out. Hohi Loki Telly just came out with this black and white one that was gorgeous. Fun. So, so we shall see what happens next. But I have also been working on my Go Tell the Bees shawl, which is the one that I cast on and then like left alone <laughs> for months and then had to rip it all back because I screwed up the row, second row and recast it on. And now I think I'm on row eight. So I've made some progress. I know. And these rows are each, I want to say 350 stitches. It's either 250 or 350. So these are not small rows, but just I needed something. I had some time to sit down and knit not a lot of time and I didn't feel like getting involved in a TV show or anything like that so I wanted something that occupied my brain a little more than endless knitting in the round on my sweater yeah. so I was like oh I will pull this out like because it's all ready to go I've got the chart I have managed to get everything going far enough that I can read my knitting now I can tell where things are supposed to line up in the lace work so if I screw something up I can tell usually, or at least I know I need to, where I need to fudge it. So this is a pattern by Michelle Bernstein that has kind of a, a bee lace design. Very cute in the, in the bottom, and then, you know, the main part of it is stockinette, but you start with the lace, so it's a little, little backwards from how shawls are normally knit, or at least the ones I've knit. And the yarn for this is my Sincere Sheep Eureka, fingering in the Brave Enough gradient, which goes from a purple to a yellow. I'm starting with the yellow, so that'll be at the bottom, so that I'll have the purple around my face instead of the yellow, which I think is a good choice for my coloring. Some people might need the reverse. This is what I'm going for. Excellent. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. And then other things I'm looking forward to coming up, Mystery Knit Along for Gnome number seven. Not my number seven, her number seven, I think. I think this will probably be my fourth or fifth one. So a fall gnome. So I think I'm actually going to use my leftovers from my sweater because the contrast color that it didn't use a lot. I still have so much of that yarn left. So, and you know, it's a fall gnome and they're fall colors. So I think that'll work. Um, and that starts September 21st, I think. If you go to the Imagine Landscapes website, you can find out more information about that. Gnomes are so cute and fun. So I'm excited for that one. And then the Down Cellar Studios Pigskin Party starts up. That is a knit-along 
or make along, I guess you can crochet or spin, I think as well, you know, all the fiber arts and it runs during the American football season. And so a lot of the things are football themed, which I really don't care about, <laughs> but it's also same. just, same. yeah, <laughs> but it's fun. It's the same kind of thing as her splash pad party where you can kind of knit what you want and get points based on yardage. Not everybody knit the same sweater. Everybody knit the same shawl. You, you pick what you want and what works for you and you can be as involved in it as you want. You get points for using sponsor yarns and, you know, all sorts of things. And they have month-long challenges for various things. So it's... It's good community. It is it's good community. community. And they've, they've split everybody into teams this year. I think they did it last year, but I didn't end up doing it last year. So you have kind of a smaller community because there's a lot of people that do it. There's 22 teams, I think, at least. I'm on, I don't know. I'm on team 22, <laughs> so there's at least 22. Um, so it's nice to have that smaller group because the big group chat can feel kind of overwhelming at times. So it's nice to have that smaller community within it. But so that's really nice. I'm looking forward to that, you know, trying to get some prizes, see how that goes. That's always fun. And then I did a little check-in on my yarn goals for the year because I was trying to do a more out than in and I had no yarn come in in August I think like I didn't put any in and the ones that are in there that I remember getting are from July and I you know checked my stash so I really think I didn't have any come in in August I may have ordered some but it's not here yet (laughs) so that doesn't count so I'm about 3,400 yards ahead for the year so far so fingers crossed we continue on this I think the sweaters are helping yeah it just made me more aware of when I'm ordering something I have been trying to take that extra second do I really need it why am I doing this and I definitely have ordered some yarn it has not all been out but create more than you consume so yes that's where I am in my knitting yeah this being excited about a project just really makes me focus good and then birthday season is coming up and holidays and Uh, I know it's September so many things going on. Yeah. So what is on the easel? Or do you have any knitting? I do not have any knitting, but okay. so what is I on have the easel? A, a little bit of an itch to knit just because it's it's cozier season. So I have been painting birds and I brought them because I think it's fun to kind of show them to another human being every Can once I see in a this while. is a, awesome. So this is that new... Lutrum sketchbook that I've been working in. I'm painting all different birds, and they're birds that come up in my reading in fiction. I was I was listening to the latest or whatever latest gamache book, and there's a bird reference, and I kept waiting for them to identify the bird, and then it turns out that the bird is like a mythical bird from heraldry. And that was disappointing. So I'm just painting birds and making the funny little notes that I make along the way. I love that it's a square. I don't don't know why I find that so awesome. Yeah, I think it's a 10 by 10 sketchbook. I like it too. It's an interesting size. And a lot of time, if I'm working on a rectangular piece, by nature of, I don't know, it might be actually Instagram influence, you know, but... I was going to say, it's very handy for taking Instagram photos. Yeah, it is. And it's not entirely my intention, but it does help. And I'll do like little test swatches of the paint on the facing page. And I was listening to a book, an audio book, and 
captured a quote from the audiobook on the facing page. And so I like having that blank space on the left. I'm a right-handed kid, so I like having that space there to try things out. You can kind of hear the pages turning. So that's been near daily. I might not be posting it daily, but I might work on a bird and then come back to it the next day and take a couple days to do the, the gang, basically, and then putting it out for the world. It makes for a really messy Instagram feed. If you look at my main page, it just looks like a giant flock of birds. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nope. Plus a teapot. And a teapot. I, yeah, I like to work in the still lives when I can. But I realized that there are over 18,000 bird species in the world, and this is according to the American Museum of Natural History. And so I feel like I can comfortably paint some really interesting birds for as long as I need to. It's yeah. good It's good art therapy for me. You're not going to run out of birds. I'm not running out of birds, and it fascinates me. And they come up, several birds come up daily. A friend of ours sent me a suggestion to paint the shoebill, which is one really interesting looking bird. And then the next thing I knew, there was um, a Bird Notes podcast that I was listening to, and he had an, an, a whole entire episode on the shoebill wow. and how it got its name and how it's this really interesting bird. So I just like how it dovetails into my real life. Ah. Ha. So that's what's on the easel. I also was very responsible adult and finally took my sewing machine in for sewing machine repair. Oh, what was wrong with it? I'm not sure. Is it repair or maintenance? Both. Oh, okay. They kind of scolded me that I hadn't brought it in for maintenance sooner. And so... Oh, pandemic? That, there's that. I, I felt like I had to make... Well, I'm in the middle of several projects, mm. like clothing projects, and I felt like I had to make more masks for my kids because they're five days yeah. in person and they have to wear masks. And I wanted to make some slightly heavier ones, so I've been lining them with really thin cotton batting, which mm. just helps filter a little bit more out. My sewing machine started making a noise, so I finally took mm. it in yesterday and I now I'm waiting on pins and needles for the verdict. Mm. I love that machine so I really want it to be. I'm sure it's fine. I hope so. It was making a weird knocking noise. We'll see. So I'm hoping to have some sewing reports next time or maybe in a month because I got the clothes bug back. Cool. Yeah. I like it. Other than that, yeah, just birds. Happily, though, happily painting the birds. Cool. All right. On the table, <laughs> the first thing on, on my list is vegan duck pancakes. So vegan duck, duck pancakes. Yep. So apparently this episode is brought to you by birds. <laughs> Even fake vegan ones. Even um, edible ones, because I have chicken. Excellent. <laughs> I'm not surprised. This is a recipe from Cooking for Peanuts who has an Instagram feed where she does little recipes. I think they're mostly vegan, vegetarian, and, you know, very affordable. So it was her riff on duck pancakes. I don't know it's what this, duck pancakes are. 
It's usually with duck and they're wrapped up with duck sauce and you get them in Chinese food here anyway. Might be an American Chinese thing. And serve them with like cucumbers and other sorts of fresh things inside. So hers were with tofu instead of any kind of animal protein. So I did half tofu, half chicken, I think, for the children. And then you slice up cucumbers or baton into, you know, little thin ones. Um, and I think, oh, and then you put some sesame seeds in there. But basically you're, you're making a sauce and then you wrap it all up. I had no idea where sesame seeds came from. I love it pointing out my ignorance because I feel like... I've never really thought about it. Where did they come yeah, from? Yeah. This is fast. bottle? Yeah. The, the uh, section of the spice rack. Yeah. Sesame seeds grow in pretty... Like, grow pretty easily in a lot of different climates. And they grow in these pods. Kind of tiny pods. And the deal is you have to harvest the whole plant by hand because the way that the pods ripen and release the seeds are from kind of from the bottom up. Mm. And so if you, you're going to miss it if you don't take the whole plant. So they harvest the whole plant and then they stand them upright on like a tarp. And then the, they, you know, the, the things, the pods release according to their readiness into the tarpaulin or whatever and that's how they harvest the seeds from the pods and then they can like wow. thresh and sort them and that kind of thing i i had no idea where sesame seeds came from and i was just fascinated to see this little pod it's kind of like a capsule and it must hold 200 sesame wow. seeds very you know airplane seeds <laughs> in, in... <laughs> i had no idea Sorry for that interruption. You said sesame, and I was like, I was curious about that this week. Huh. Cool. Yeah, no, I had no idea. I, I was not curious, but now I'm, I find it very interesting. Thank you. I'm here for the weird stuff. <laughs> cool. So the sauce has, well, it has hoisin sauce. I did not have any gluten-free hoisin, so I just used soy sauce and a little bit of miso, which was one of the Yum. things that I, I looked up and it worked. Miso. And miso is just fantastic. So we gave it that little thickness and a little more richness, mm. and it was delicious. Um, rice vinegar, maple syrup, a little sesame oil, and it was really, it was delicious. And then I found these cassava flour wraps. So instead of regular burrito wraps or... I guess they have duck pancake wraps. Anyway, I couldn't find those. This is what I found at my store. And it was really good. And I was talking with my non-gluten-free child, and we both agreed that these were very tasty wraps and didn't feel gummy or weird or anything. And, and as gluten eaters, we found these acceptable. So that was kind of cool to find something new. Yeah, you're right. And then I got a new cookbook. Jenny Rosenstrack was talking a lot about the recipes from this cookbook. So I got it out of my library online, which is always a pain, but it was worth it to check it out. And the raw vegetable section, there was like maybe 20 recipes. And I was like, 15 of them I want to make right now. So <laughs> I figured, well, let's just cut to the chase and go buy this cookbook. So I did. It is Otolenghi Simple. He's a British chef and has done a whole lot of vegetable... Uh, I think of him as being vegetable forward, but like kooky stuff and vegetables. Delicious. So this one is indeed very simple. Just using the brightest, freshest produce and making it amazing. And there is also a meat and fish section and a dessert section. I haven't 
really dived into those as much. I did take a little peek through it, so we'll see if I get to those as well. But the vegetables, lots of, there's a cooked vegetable and a raw vegetable and some appetizers and salads and so plenty to keep my vegetable people happy. So we were invited over to our niece's house for dinner and she asked if I could bring a salad and she was doing a stir fry. So there was one, it was a peach and raspberry salad. Yum. Which is great. And he called for radicchio and watercress. I don't love peaches because of the fuzziness on the outside. So I went with nectarines, which I figure is close enough raspberries. And then they didn't have the greens. So I just got a bag of mixed greens, which was totally yeah. simple. Key part here is that the dressing was a five spice dressing with like the five spice powder, mm-hmm. which just cut the sweetness of the fruit, gave it this great warmth. You know, it's a Asian-ish spice so it went nicely with the stir fry and people were having seconds of the salad so i feel pretty good about that and it was delicious and super simple thus the title and then last night for dinner we had tofu and haricover with chimera sauce which is a sauce from libya it involves caraway seeds so i got to use my caraway boy that's a hot button in our house what's it called again I did not look up how to pronounce it. C-H-R-A-I-M-E-H. Crema? Crema? Yeah, it will, it that will... is a good question. <laughs> it will be in the show notes if you are interested in looking at it. But it's caraway seeds, which you toast. And then I got to put in my mortar and pestle. So that was very exciting. Also cumin, paprika, cinnamon, a bunch of garlic, tomato paste, and a little bit of lime juice. And some plain oil. So you kind of cook that down a little bit, add the tofu and the arico vert. So because of the paprika, it is this dark, intense, very scary looking red. And my last couple of curries that I've made, and this is not a curry, different kind of thing. I mean, it's a spice mix sauce. Yeah. And you end up adding water to it to give it the more lightness and then cook it down so it gets a little bit thick. Anyway, very scary red. My past couple of curries that I have made, I have overdone the spice. And even my spicy people in my household were like, oh, this is a little bit spicy. So I was really worried. And red being the international symbol of this is hot. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm looking at the ingredients and I'm making the ingredients and there's nothing in there that would make it. No, it's paprika and tomato. So I'm like, it's just got to be. It's just the coloring. It's just the coloring. I was still really worried. And as I put it down on the table, I could see the people looking at it going, what is she done now? Did you taste it? No, (laughs) I was too scared. I I know. There's a real easy fix here. (laughs) But if it was bad or too spicy, then 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 we weren't going to have dinner, and I would be sad. So I no, you just wouldn't have the Crimea sauce. Well, no, Crimea. (laughs) It's not Crimea. Maybe it is Crimea. Anyway, it was, but it was. It's all mixed together. I guess I could have tasted it before I put the vegetables in. Is what you're saying. (laughs) <laughs> still just a sauce. That seems very logical. But I but I knew, right? There's nothing on that list that would make it... There's no actual chili in there. So it was just so whopping it flavorful. Was, it was whopping flavorful. What he called it was piquant, which ah. I think is a good description. That, yeah, so super flavorful. People liked it. Yeah, it was a good one. So I was excited. Excited about that. Cool. Even if I can't pronounce it. Okay. So I'm enjoying this book. I think you'll be hearing more from it in the coming weeks. 
I'm excited. And it's really pretty, too. I, I did And it has a bookmark. It. Oh. I love it when they come with a bookmark. Like the ribbon? The ribbon, yeah. Yeah, I do, too. How about you? Okay. So we're back in business. The whack-a-mole life. My guys have a couple of really early mornings that they have to be at school for, like, early morning practice, which is just not fun. What we have devised as a food solution for this, because for those of you who haven't heard, we have a 15 and a 17-year-old. We both do. Well, yours are a little bit older, huh? Mine are like six months ahead, but they're still currently 15 and 17. So my guys are big eaters right now. And so I, in trying to drum up a solution for them missing breakfast, and then being ravenous after their early morning practice, I decided I would make a batch of breakfast burritos, freeze them, send them to school with them, and then they could. there's a microwave in the cafeteria that they can use to heat them up after practice. Oh, nice. I came up with a breakfast burrito. This is not just my own riff on it. Couple eggs, a little bit of sausage, a little bit of cheese, a vein of tater tots. <laughs> cilantro green onion wrapped in a big tortilla nice how do they feel about the cilantro they love it i assume they must be yeah or you wouldn't have put it in they took two each the first day and declared them excellent but cold Mm. so then we started doing pull them out the night before you kind of have to freeze them just so that the whole thing holds together mostly Mm. so the night before i put them in the fridge and they took them and microwaved them, and then they were too hot. It's total baby bear syndrome, or what's her name? Goldilocks. Goldilocks syndrome. So now Ugh. they're figuring out their end of it, but they've declared them excellent. <laughs> I think the tater tot thing really sold it, and that was a. I had ordered a burrito, a breakfast burrito, when we were in San Luis Obispo, and it came with. I think tater tots, that's where I got the idea from, but they were sort of smashed into it. That's pretty spectacular. It is pretty good. There's like four in there, but, you know, perfectly like the vein. Okay. It's a little surprise. It's delicious, I think. Then I have a couple chicken recipes. I did the coriander roasted chicken. I think I got it off the Milk Street website. It was super simple, all on one tray. I did it with chicken thigh. Excellent flavor. I mean, just, it will definitely become a staple. I think going forward, I'll do a mix of chicken parts for that because I don't really care about chicken thigh. I thought I liked it when we were cooking from the Simply Julia. I like a little more white meat, I think. Interesting. However, half of my house loves the chicken thigh, so. There you go. Yeah. Luckily, you're in charge. Yes, I'd like to think so. I also made pesto chicken, which is a recipe I used to make in college, I think. Wow. So Seems likely. This is um, like a baked chicken recipe in a... I might have to kind of type out the recipe because I don't know where I ever saw it initially. Hmm. Chicken breast with a layer of pesto and then a couple slices of tomato. Hmm feta on top and then pine nuts if you have it i forget if there should be an herb or not i don't remember putting an herb on it parsley would be fine basil would be fine but anyway 
and then you pour heavy cream over oh, the whole well. thing and bake it off. Okay, then. I That's how I used to make it. Now I do like a little bit of cream and a little bit of chicken stock mm. just to, I mean, the whole thing lightens way up. And that retains the flavor and the moisture of having yeah. the, the liquid in there. And bake it for, I don't know, 25, 35 minutes, 350. That sounds delicious. Everybody really liked it. I don't know why I don't make it more often. It was one of those things I ate a ton of in college and right after. Super easy pesto chicken with chicken breast. Nice. Yeah. And then, okay. I have been struggling with a particular bingo square that I put on the bingo sheet <laughs> and it was cook a local specialty. Oh yeah. And I thought I was going to like reinvent the burrito. No. And then I thought I was going to reinvent Chipino. No. And then my kids came home and were like, school put soup in a bread bowl and what kind of nonsense is this? <laughs> Which is what happens with the chowder down at Boudin's. And so that was out. And then... What do they have against bread bowls? How can you just, not like a bread bowl? It's just not... Like, they need all of the, the food groups to make them feel full right now. They're just working right. their bodies really okay. hard. So, I know. I hear you. They, they like bread. bread on the side. <laughs> There's, we have no bread problem on the side with bread. of your bread bowl? We are total omnivores. Let's be clear about that. I know. Then I then you did the great It's It Sunday constructed It's It Sunday and then I tried to make ice cream and that was a hot mess. <laughs> I wasn't ever gonna come close to like Mitchell's ice cream. You know mm. what I mean? I just so So good. We have so much good ice cream in this city. We do. So there's there's really no messing with perfection, right? And so I was thinking back to when I first moved here. My mother-in-law took me out to lunch at a place called The Slanted Door. Mm. And it was this weird little restaurant in the Mission on Valencia Street. It has since had one other home, and now it's in the Ferry Building, which is no small shake. It's a big spot, too. A huge spot. And he's since produced, like, three cookbooks, I think. Char Charlie Fan. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this... And other, other restaurants as well. Right. This was the most amazing, one of the most amazing lunches I've ever had. And I remember my mother-in-law so fondly because she was like, bring it all. <laughs> like <laughs> she wanted like samplers of everything. And she was so proud of, I've said this before, she was a great ambassador for San Francisco and just the, the diversity of food and people and and it was just an awesome entry into San Francisco cuisine. And so one of the dishes that they brought out was their specialty called shaking beef, which is a really popular Vietnamese dish. And you can get it at a lot of different restaurants, not just Slanted Door. And so I was in the library in person. The, the, I um, know, so many of them are open now. Yeah, and I was looking at the cookbook shelf and... Out jumped the Slanted Door cookbook. Oh. It was the second one, I think. And so I grabbed it off the shelf, which reminded me that I also have the Chez Panisse cookbook and the uh, Zuni mm. Cafe cookbook. Mm. But I had like oh, such... The chicken with the bread. Uh -huh, I oh, know. You should have done that. I might. I have that. So... 
Slanted Door, also excellent choice. Slanted Door was like a beeline to my mother-in-law, though. And I thought that that felt really good. And it was red meat, which we hardly ever eat. We, we're, we've been really mindful about choosing our meat really carefully. And so we, I put it on the grocery list, and my husband picked up some beautiful sirloin. And I made the shaking beef the other night with some sticky rice and a big salad. I followed the recipe from Slanted Door Cookbook, but I followed the instructions from Tuesday night because he oh. has a version of shaking beef in there. And it's a little bit easier for me because I don't have a wok. Oh, yeah. I just did it in a cast iron skillet. It would be literally easier to shake beef in a wok than it was <laughs> in my 400-pound cast iron skillet. Yeah. However, other than that, I think it was... Not too terrible. There was a, a couple little bites left over. So that was a huge culinary success Yay. this week. Sounds delicious. Is that why you had five pounds of limes? That is why I have five pounds of limes. And I'm just handing them out <laughs> to people randomly, rolling them down the hill, you know, tucking them into the yeah. lunchbox with the <laughs> breakfast burrito. Here, have a lime. Perfect. I mean, it goes with avocado. It does. And I just remembered, I should make like lime bars or something really good Ooh, with this. Oh, yeah. That would be delicious. You could make a double batch and share. Yes, I could do that. I forgot to write down all of the things that I've been making from milk, not not Milk Momo, Street, Momofuku but milk. Momofuku Milk Bar from Christina Tosi. I did my like three recipes I had, I'm counting the corn cookies from a couple weeks ago. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah. Something else in there, but I've been making components from there. She has a graham cracker crumb crust in there that is super good. Wow. So maybe I'll do that with the... You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Nothing to inspire you. And we did want to mention, we're going to try not to talk about it too much, but the new Dinner Love Story, Jenny Rosenstruck cookbook is out. It is weekday vegetarians. We both have our copy that we pre-ordered. And there are several bookmarks and things we are excited to try. So we'll be doing a review of that in a month or so. We haven't picked out our date. But if you wanted to join us in cooking along and letting us know what you think about it, feel free. There's so many great-looking cookbooks that are coming out this season, though. Yeah, that, that too. I mean, I couldn't pick just one. And I know that there's another one coming out that I want to twist your arm about too. And we aren't even vegan. So. Oh, it's a vegan one? A uh-huh. vegetarian or? Vegan. Ooh, cool. Anyway, yes, it's called Everyday or Weekday Vegetarian. So it allows for shaking beef on Sunday. Yes. Okay, on the nightstand. So my first book is sort of a, a holdover from last time when I was reading all those mysteries thrillers that was part of that that group the other black girl by zakaya delilah harris so it starts off with nella who is an assistant in a new york publishing house and she is really excited about getting into publishing and learning to be an editor been there a few years and it's been kind of up and down she is the only black girl in the office so it's been uh, there's there's been times when it's been good and times when it's been bad. Uh, they've finally got around to hiring the other black girl. She's very excited to have someone that will understand 
what she's going through and someone to talk to and all those good things. And for the most part, it starts off going well, and then things go sideways. They're a little strange, but are they strange? She's not sure. And then she gets a note on her desk. Leave the firm now. So, goes on from there. It is, I have seen it described as Get Out Meets Devil Wears Prada, which I feel is pretty accurate. It definitely went in a lot of directions I was not expecting. It was both more fun and more thrillerish than I was <laughs> expecting. And I think there's the setup that I just gave you, which is what you will hear about if you read the jacket blurb or any of the reviews. And after that, it definitely, definitely goes off in some different directions. So maybe not quite what you're, what you're thinking about, at least as far as tone and, and things like that. So, but I did really enjoy it. Very interesting. Yeah, both serious and fun. So it was a nice mix. And then I read Landslide by Susan Conley, which is about a woman who lives in Maine with her husband and two teenage sons. Whoever was talking about this said it was a really good book about describing the emotional life of boys and their, mm. their mothers and things that you go through with, with teenagers. And so as you may have heard, <laughs> that's where I am. So I thought I'd check that out. So in the story, her her husband is a fisherman and his family's been fishermen for years and years and years and years. So that's kind of all he knows. He is injured in a fishing accident. So he is stuck in a hospital in Canada and she's trying to raise the boys. And so it's it's a lot of family drama. The, the fishing industry is going away in general. So there's that stress. There's the stress of the teenagers and what they're going through. It's not a terribly long book, maybe 200 and some pages, but a really good description heard, of life in Maine. And yeah. I've heard good things about that. It yeah. keeps popping up in my book world too. Yeah. If you like the, the family drama kind of thing, I know great revelations or secrets mm. or traumas. That's not entirely true. There is a little bit, but overall, yeah, it's quite, it's got some, some really nice writing and, you know, I like the Maine coastal thing. You'd probably like that as well. So that's Landslide by Susan Conley. And then I read Artificial Condition by Martha Wells. This is the second in the Murderbot series. So a little different. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So I was all over the place this time. No, no theme at all. So this one is also a novella. Our bot is trying to find out. There was an event that happened before the first book started. And so the bot is trying to figure out what happened there was it responsible for some horrible things trying to be responsible for itself it ends up uh, working on saving some more humans develops this great relationship with the spaceship that it's traveling on which sounds wackadoodle but is really sweet <laughs> and hilarious um, they're sharing tv shows and it's just it's such a it's such an interesting little series and it sounds really bizarre but the writing is so great and yes they're robots and spaceships but apparently they have feelings too so i'm really enjoying this looking forward to book three and then glass houses by louise penny which i listened to because that's how i do my louise penny gamash number 13 i'm so close to the end one just came out though so i know i've seen it yeah. In, in the flesh. <laughs> I know. I keep wanting to buy it. I'm like, no, that's why would I do that right now? <laughs> I have to read the other ones first. Uh, so this one, there is a 
masked person shows up in Three Pines. The town is all weirded out about it. And then it goes away, but there's a dead body. And then there's an investigation and, you know, typical Gamash stuff. I like this one. The back and forth was pretty good. You know, it was a good mystery. It felt a little bit less connected to some of the other ones, which I think is fine. So yeah, so this one, she's she's continuing, continuing in her, her excellent writing and mysteries. And then Rosemary and Rue by Seanan McGuire. I love Seanan McGuire's writing. And this is her first, this is the first book of her first series, which I had not read yet. And it came out in 2009. And I think they are still coming out. So I probably got at least... 10 or 11 more books to go in the series, so you might be hearing about this for a while. This is uh, an urban fantasy. Uh, it takes place in San Francisco, so that was also part of the appeal. That's fun. Yeah. October is our heroine. She is a changeling, so half fairy, half human, which means it's hard for her to be in the human world because she doesn't look human, but the full fairies look down on her for being part human. So she has started working as a private investigator, ends up getting turned into a fish for 14 years. <laughs> what kind of fish? Uh, she becomes one of the koi at, in the Japanese tea gardens. Well, if you're going to be metamorphized into a fish, that is probably a pretty good game. Probably a pretty good. Although you're stuck in there. Mm. Yeah, it's a problem. Anyway, that's just like the first <laughs> chapter. She comes back. She's been gone. Her life has fallen apart. So she's trying to rebuild her life. In the human world, she's like, all right, I'm done with you fairy people. And nothing but grief. You turned me into a fish. I'm out of it. Obviously, it's not going to work that way. Things happen. There's murder she has to investigate. A little bit of magic. It was really good. <laughs> if, you're, if you're into that kind of thing, I recommend checking it out. It was an interesting San Francisco book because there are parts that are very specific and are dead on. And then she'll get in a cab and go somewhere and you're like, ah, like, where is she now? It doesn't make sense. Shannon has, I believe, she's definitely from the Bay Area and has probably lived in San Francisco. So she knows what she's talking about. And when she's not being specific, it's for a reason. So there wasn't too much that annoyed me, except my brain kept trying to figure out where things were happening. And it wasn't always either clear or, you know, it was yeah so but it wasn't it, there wasn't anything wrong it was just deliberately unclear so hmm. but that's my own issue and unless you are from san francisco you will probably not have that that same experience but yes thumbs up and i'm looking forward to book two and then finally home fire by Kamala shamsi which was the winner of the 2018 Women's prize and longlisted for the booker prize and i really 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 liked a lot it is a retelling of Antigone, but you don't need to know anything about it to enjoy the story or enjoy. It's one of those books. It's not a happy ending. I feel it's not a spoiler because Antigone, definitely powerful, well-written, very moving. But again, one of those ones you feel weird saying, oh, I really liked it yeah. because it's there's so much going on. Isma is from London and she had to put her life on hold when her mother died to raise her younger twin siblings. But now they're 19, so more or less grown up. She is moving to America to continue her studies, get her graduate degree. And while she is there, she meets Eamon, whose father is a 
very high level politician. He's in the cabinet in London and they are all of Pakistani origin, but he has kind of turned his back on his community and has done a lot of anti-immigrant policies. So Isma knows who Ayman is. Ayman doesn't know that she knows who he is. So they start to develop a friendship. She also does not tell him that her father was arrested in Afghanistan and died on his way to Guantanamo, and her brother has currently run away to join the jihad. So there's a little bit of tension there, and it goes on from there. I read this. Did you? Yeah. And now I'm going to have to go back and hear my very bumbling description of it compared to yours, because I don't, like when you said that it was a retelling of Antigone, it was like, hmm, that sounds familiar. When did you read it? I don't, I think within the past, I mean, it's 2018, right? Yeah. So, but definitely not interesting in the past year and a half. Like it must've been a newer one. And maybe I read it for book group because I remember talking about it. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. I have to go check that out. Well, anyway, (laughs) I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good retelling. It definitely, it, you know, hit the main plot points, but without being a direct match in all points so i liked i liked that and i just thought it was well written and very of the moment yes cool and those are all my books books. okay i have four for you today i read a book called the short history of tractors in ukrainian (laughs) by monica luaika um this is fiction which is you know it's what i do fiction for the most part this is about two sisters Nadia and Vera, and they're 40 and 50 or 45 and 55, and they've lost their mother. They're looking after their dad a little bit. He decides to mail order himself a new bride who's like 30, younger than them. The two sisters were really fighting over something about what their mother had left them. But when their father brings this bride into his life they find themselves united (laughs) and it is the tractor's part I found it slightly distracting because I was really interested in what was going to happen with these two sisters and their new stepmother and her like green silk underwear and it was crazy and I think what I need to do is go back and read there's little interjections about the short history of tractors. It's not tractors in Ukraine. It's he's writing it in Ukrainian. So it's, you know, global tractors. And I think that there's something there that I totally missed. I will own this. The tractors thing didn't get much traction with me. It's like Moby Dick with the little uh-huh, whale parts. Exactly. Yeah. But I really felt like it was a much bigger story definitely about sisterhood and also about immigration because boy did they change their tune about immigration when this woman is trying to take their father's everything so that part was really hard but i think it was well executed in the book then i listened to big magic this is an Elizabeth Gilbert nonfiction about creativity and creative process. And I have read this book 
maybe three times in bits and pieces before. It's kind of, it's, it, it's a real staple in the creative book realm. And I think that listening to it on audio was a wholly different experience because Elizabeth Gilbert, while referencing Eat, Pray, Love, which was, I'm not the audience for Eat, Pray, Love, and that is totally fine. If you loved it, awesome. But she is much more self-deprecating in tone about Eat, Pray, Love on the audio version, and it is way less off-putting to hear her tone read to me Big Magic, and it was just the right time for me to hear all of this great stuff again about showing up and doing the work and following, you know, I'm curious about birds right now. I am painting birds right now. It doesn't matter that the entire world is probably <laughs> bored of aura pendolas from South America or Central America. My bad. You know what I'm saying? Yep. That it's okay for me to follow this super weird thing right now and see where it goes and not have to have some long game plan and Anyway, Big Magic, it's a staple. And I think that the audio version is really different than reading it in your two hands on page. Then this was, I had to do Big Magic because I was waiting for book four. And then Monica reminded me, just get on Hoopla already. And there's no waiting. It's like... It's just there. It's like a fast pass on the bridge. And when you finish it, they tell you, this is the next one. Do you want it? You say yes. Thank yeah. you. It's really satisfying. Magic. Yeah. It's big magic. It is. So, Rule Against Murder, which is book four, Louise Penny. I referenced this a little earlier on in the uh, talking about birds in my book because I was really excited that it was going to be an actual bird that I could draw. This one, aiming for zero spoilers, takes place just outside of Three Pines and we're at a remote resort type place. There's a family reunion happening and boy, they're a handful, this group. And it's And the food. <sighs> there's tons of food. Oh, it's killing me. And tons of food talk. It's like a gourmet national park lodge with all this, you know, five star chef and they're describing everything they're eating. And I was reading this yeah. deep in the pandemic when I had not been to a restaurant in like a year and I was Oh, it was hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a lot of food in this one. I think that one's the, the most food talk. Excellent. Them. What can I say about this one? I think that it was a lot more gamache than his team. This one mm -hmm. felt more about his process, and he's really confronted. And it, it was not overt, but how to put his own bias and friendship aside to really look at the case fully and and consider each potential person and I I felt like this one was gave a lot more about his interior process and then it was wholly satisfying to hear the mystery and the murder and learn why and but always satisfying to listen through another gamache mystery it's just they're so fun i don't yeah. know i feel terrible saying that about a murder mystery by the way oh i know what but the guilty are punished 
the guilty are punished. You know that's going to happen. I have started book five, of course, because thank you, Hoopla. So one of the things that I've been saying to Monica, not necessarily on air, but if this Three Pines is so idyllic, they have a lot of murder going on. Like we've been having that conversation. And they do in the later books start calling that out. So book five. Oh, they do. One of the characters says like, oh my gosh, they're going to, when are they going to like, they're going to think something's wrong with us that we have all these murders here. And I just nodded right along with that. So that was Rule Against Murder. And I'm also starting to pay attention to when the title appears in the text, if you will. And that was a funny, funny line. Like, what, you have a rule against murder? Like, who doesn't? (laughs) Anyway. Then I read The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams. And I have no idea where I heard of this. But to give you an example of the endorsement, on the back of this book, highly endorsed by Geraldine Brooks, Simon Winchester, who wrote The the Making of the Oxford English Dictionary, Thomas Keneally, who wrote Schindler's List. There's lots of great authors who've signed on to helping push this book, which is the fictionalized historical telling of the editor's of the first Oxford English Dictionary. So turn of the century. They've been working on this project for 10 years, I guess, and they're at Ant. So they're really struggling. They're totally overwhelmed by this project. And the voice of the book is is one of the editors. It's not the main editor, but it's one of the other editor's daughters. And it's really set in Oxford, in the scriptorium, behind the editor's house. They build this scriptorium and it's got like pigeonholes for all of the slips and people. This is like, um, it's like open source software where people are writing in and suggesting words. But the only words that make it into this original Oxford English Dictionary, which I did not know this is that it has to have contextual reference. Like it has to have been published to make it into the dictionary. And the more citations that people can send in, the more weight it has to make the final cut. And that's what these editors are doing. They're trying to come up with the best, most universal use of the word. And then, you know, the citations are really important. And what Esme, the daughter of one of the editors, realizes is that there are words that her maid uses that are never in there. There are words when she goes to the market and hears people talking. And she realizes that a lot of words that women use or are about women because it's never written down because everything that's ever been written has been written by men, white men for the most part, are not making it into the Oxford English Dictionary. And this is like historically accurate. And it's mind blowing because I'm 45 years old and just realizing (laughs) it. Maybe we can cut my age. (laughs) Who cares? So she starts collecting these words that don't make the cut because they don't have the printed citation. And then she's also starting to collect words from people, the workers, the the housemaids, the people at the market, and she will assign a quotation 
here, having them use it in context. And she's collecting choice four letter words. I laughed out loud at some of the words that she's picking up from people. That is the vein that runs through this whole book. And she collects and and builds, you know, this little collection of words that are lost to the Oxford English Dictionary. So, so interesting. And into that comes her life and her choices and decisions as a woman during this is also a time when women's suffrage movement is happening and how you know she's a part of this important project with the Oxford English Dictionary via her father and does she really want to do anything that would jeopardize her role in this project you know so she's cognizant about what she can and can't do and I think it is super super satisfying read I loved the entire book like really really great read cool all right yeah I'm taking it (laughs) and that Courtney's pushing library books on me yeah all of the superlatives thrown at that one sweet all right I'll report back we'll see okay all right bingo this is it, folks. This is it. The last hurrah. You're going to be glad. It is. So, I mean, we might have a little final, final wrap-up in case we did anything in the next few days. But, yes, we have, what, four days, five days? It ends Monday, September 6th, which, when this comes out, will be two days ago. So, if you didn't post, come back and join us next year. Yes, we've been enjoying all of the photos with the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2021. Thank you to those of you who came on to Ravelry and posted. We had a nice little couple of posts there. I wanted to say hi to Kylie in Australia who posted there, who had just found it and didn't think she was going to be able to put together a bingo, but is looking forward to next year. So we're looking forward to seeing what you come up with. We want to say hi to Angie, who has posted something on the regular, our regular Instagram, and she was listening to us chit chat about Inspector Gamache and has been listening in her free time. And we just hope that all is going well with your family, Angie, and thanks for writing in. And so a bunch of people getting some more bingo squares, Jennifer Lassonde, Boston Jen, did some taste tests with her family. They did a whoopie pie taste test. And I wrote down cheese curls. I don't think that's what I mean. They're more like Cheetos, I think. Oh, excellent. Like uh, fun food yes. t- taste test. Yeah. Yes. So My kids would be down for that. And there were some very funky sounding flavors. So that, that sounded like a lot of fun. J.R. Carl, 515. Jane did, for her local specialty, did a Vermonter pizza with cheddar, bacon, apples, and maple syrup which I'm sure some of you are going, yee, but I think that sounds pretty amazing. I do like the salty, sweet, savory, sweet combo thing. I'm a Hawaiian pizza girl, so. Yeah, we have one of those in our house, too. I think that local specialty one was really hard. However, like, that's really creative. Yeah. Yeah, you have to, yeah, it's one of those ones you have to kind of. Apply yourself. Embrace the challenge (laughs) and not overthink it. I know. Like some people. (laughs) Courtney. (laughs) RKO, who's Katie in Colorado, had a whole bunch that she reported on. She shared zucchini recipes with a friend and tried a new Indian spice. She was doing work cooking from an Indian cookbook. And then she, for her local, um, found some sweet corn that they just, I guess, just grows in Colorado. 
which I had Ooh. not heard of. So I thought that was kind of kind of fun. And then we had several people who finished. Like Blackout or Bingo Squares? Bingo Squares. But okay. usually a lot of like two bingos at a time kind of thing. So Jane, J.R. Carl, 515, finished. Telly Robinson finished. RKO finished as well. And KM12734, Katrina from Canada. So cool. Hopefully we'll see a few more. But right now, your chances are really good. I have two more squares to go. I have to cook from a novel, like actually cook from a novel, yeah. not just think about it. Yeah. And I have to display something I made. I know, you'd think that would be you easy. You put stuff but... on Instagram. You paint uh, it and you put it I know. Uh, I mean, I feel like you might need to just accept that that's what you've done. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> if you want the blackout. Did I write down what I did? I did not write it down. Um, I did my cooking from a book. Lemon Meringue Pie, which appears in both book 13 and 14 of Inspector Gamash. There's a whole scene where they're eating lemon meringue pie in a cafe, and it's their favorite thing. Fun. And so I decided to make a lemon meringue pie, and it worked out pretty well. I think I did not let the base cool quite enough before I put the meringue on top, so it melted a little bit. But then you put it in the oven and bake it, and it stayed, it stayed pretty well. And it was tasty. I did also did not have enough cornstarch, so my filling did not set quite as firmly as I would have liked, but it mm-hmm. was delicious. I mean, it's yeah. lemon curd, so yeah. how bad can it be? And then meringue on top. and mm. Fun. Yeah, that was kind of cool. And I think I think that's all I managed to officially. I really I... want to do a taste test, but I haven't, I haven't figured out what I wanted to do. You're yet. overthinking this. <laughs> Go get some Fair cheese. Fair enough. Go get some cheese puffs. No, I'm kidding. Cheese, popcorn. What's something you really love? Beef fondue. Monica, <laughs> she says that every time. I'm being unfair. What is something else that you really love? I don't know. I'll think about Chocolate. it. Chocolate. Chocolate oh. is so Oh, easy. no, I did do the taste test. We did coffee. Oh, my gosh. So my, my husband's company does you know because everyone is still working from home for the most part so they try and still do these community building things and we had a a wine tasting last year and so this time they had a couple of options and one of them was a coffee tasting and there was some barista in new york who taught us how to do pour over and we had two different flavors one was like more floral and one was more butterscotchy and chocolatey or something and so we got to make coffee and i mean i wasn't technically supposed to be doing it but it was like three in the afternoon and he had two giant cups of coffee. So obviously he wasn't going to drink all of that. So I had to help. I think the coffee people would be really interested to know what kind they sent you because like coffee people are super into that. I would want to know if it was a tea thing. Maybe I'll do a tea thing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So that was good. I did do that. Sweet. Check. Okay. So I have three squares filled in. I did the three recipes from, I did at least three recipes from milk. Those corn cookies that I still have a monster amount of (laughs) corn flour for. I also made the compost cookies from there for the boys earlier in the week. And then tons of the components. There's lots of milk crumb and berry milk crumb and that awesome graham cracker crumb that you, you could put it on top of your oatmeal or put it on top of some blueberry bars. Or ice cream. Or ice cream. 
And then I wrote a couple podcast reviews. I wrote one for the Get Messy podcast, which is Kaylee Gray in Germany, and she writes about creative process. And then I found one called Bird Notes. I think it's called Bird Notes. I'll put it in the, in the show notes. This guy who does like a deep dive into different bird species and I love it. It's um I totally nerd out it sounds like in the you. car, the back and forth in the car to school. When I'm in the car alone, the kids would not <laughs> would not tolerate that. And then my local specialty was shaking beef. Nice. Yes. Well done. All right. And so here we will put in the winner. So we had a few more people enter over the weekend. So thank you very much. We had 11 entries total, and I did a random number generator. And the winner was number nine. It was Anne-Marie DKSF on Instagram, who is our friend Anne-Marie. So very excited. And she has been a big supporter of the podcast since the beginning. So very excited to see her winning there. So Anne-Marie, I know where you live, so we will get the package over to you very quickly. And congratulations, and congratulations to everyone that played along with us, and we will see you next summer. Yay! Yay! Congratulations! (laughs) We're so excited that you decided to play along, even if you just did a row or attempted to look at the sheet. Um, It's crazy fun for us because it makes us feel really accomplished in a you know otherwise wild time and even in in unprecedented times it was still fun to shape our summers with the bingo sheets so we will put together a really fun collection and get it off to you soon yes (laughs) until next time make sure to do something you love every day thanks everyone bye Thanks, everyone. Oh, sorry, I jumped you. I jumped ahead. So until next time. Thanks, ev- Monica. Go. I forgot. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Jeez, Louise. Oh my gosh. Can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.